Welcome to episode 137 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Bryn Jackson. I'm Brian Levin. Today we caught up with Christophe Tozier. He is a designer at Facebook working on social VR. Before that, he was at Parse. Before that, at Apple. He comes from France. And we dig into his background and all the cool stuff he's been working on. He's worked on a lot of crazy things. So It was really fun. Uh, we hope you enjoy it. But before we get into that, we do have a sponsor we want to thank for making this episode possible. Our sponsor for this episode is Wayno. Wayno is an amazing agency doing some of the best work in the world with some of the best people in the world, and they're hiring. If you haven't seen Wayno's work, you should go check them out. They're all over the place. They've worked for Google and Dropbox and Lonely Planet. Cisco, Reuters, Red Bull. Their client list is insane, and their work is amazing. Uh, you should check it out on their website at wayno.co. That's U-E-N-O dot C-O, or on their Dribble and get inspired. They just launched the new Boosted Board site, and it's amazing. It's so cool. You really got Dan Petty pretty. on there spinning around doing his crazy video stuff. So Wayno is sponsoring the show because they want you to just check them out, go to their website, get inspired, look at the work on their Dribble account. They're also hiring. So if you're looking for a new gig, uh, go to wayno.co, click the careers link in the header, tell them we sent you. If you are on the younger design side and want an internship, they're starting to look for a 2017 design intern here in San Francisco. That is in the same careers link. So just click there, read up, Send them a note and tell them we sent you. And thanks once again to Wayno for sponsoring the episode. And with that, let's get into episode 137 with Christophe Tozier. All right, my name is Christophe. I'm a product designer at Facebook. I've been at Facebook for now three years. I'm coming from France. Um, I started my career as a software developer mm-hmm. at Apple mm-hmm. in Paris. Mm-hmm. And it's at Apple that I actually realized that I was actually more of a designer than a developer. That's what I really like to do. And so I transitioned into design, and quickly after that, um, a startup in San Francisco reached out. Um, that startup was Parse. You're giving us the whole story. Okay, keep He's going. running through the whole thing. <laughs> I don't know. I thought this you is were... great. This is great. Now you're interrupting me. A small startup in San Francisco you, you reached just, out. You just want a small intro? Just tell me what you need. I don't know. I want all of this. Keep going. All right, so Parse. <laughs> they're, so Parse they're a failed out. startup. Whoa. They're like Firebase, whoa, whoa, whoa. but they're like dead now. Whoa, dude! Not. Okay, no. So, so the startup Parse reached out, and they were looking for. They were building. There was just the four founders, and they were trying to build a platform for developers to help them build their apps faster. Uh, but they realized that the trick would be to like build a really good user experience because they like they they were all developers, and they knew how like difficult it was to convince developers to try out new products because there's always a new framework or always a new platform coming up and so their strategy was like hey let's make a really good product a really good user experience and let's see if people like actually pick it up and that worked out and so a year later we ended up being acquired by facebook which is um how i ended up there and i continued working for parse for a year after we got acquired and um after that i worked uh, a little bit on facebook platform i worked on facebook login and a bunch of uh, other facebook platform products and then i switched to facebook photos where I worked for two years um, and was designing for all platforms how people share and consume photos on Facebook, which was really cool because I really like photography. Um, I wish you just knew anything about it. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then I worked for two months recently on Facebook Live, which was a really cool experience. And recently I joined the social VR team and now I'm working on VR. What do you do when you're not designing? When I'm not designing, I'm taking photos. Um, traveling and playing basketball, uh-huh. um, sometimes with you, uh-huh. and um, watching a lot of TV shows, way too much TV shows, like, <laughs> way too many. It's ridiculous. What's your favorite TV show right now? My favorite right now? Probably Game of Thrones. Hmm. Uh, that's an easy one, uh, but it's really good. That doesn't even count. That's too okay. high end. Okay. Um, Mr. Robot is really good. House of Cards is really good. I'm watch- I'm trying to get the best. I can list all the TV shows I'm watching. It's ridiculous. Like oh. Recently, I watched Vikings. Really good. Watched The Last Kingdom. Really good. Um, I watched... <laughs> uh, I'm re-watching Louis because it's... I like Louis C.K. Um, I'm watching uh, Chef's Table on Netflix. Chef's Table Season it. 2. It's really good. Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of TV. How do you find time? Uh, the shuttle. Oh, Facebook shuttle. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Hmm, mm-hmm. I hadn't seen you on the shuttle before watching TV. I have my iPad Pro with me every morning and every night, uh-huh. and I'm watching some TV, uh-huh. listening some, to some podcasts. A little more context. Um, we've had you on the show before. Mm-hmm. Episode 23. We checked. It was a little over a year ago. Yep. And that was when you and I first met, mm-hmm. and you're the reason I'm at Facebook. Mm-hmm. 
like literally the reason. Mm-hmm. Isn't that weird? Yep. I remember like we, so we did that weird podcast after like, <laughs> I mean, not the podcast itself, but like it, we're it was ha- super it was a weird. Podcast. It was a weird podcast, but like we're, we're having burgers and then like in the middle of it, we're like, hey, let's go record an episode. And we do the podcast thing. I had never met you before. And after the show, I'm like, hey, so what do you do? Oh, I'm at Buffer, blah, 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 blah. And we chat. And then I'm like, hey, like we should talk about Facebook. Like, I think you'd, you'd like it. And yeah, like a couple of weeks later, you were interviewing at Facebook and you joined. I'll actually That's remember cool. talking to you at New Year's about the podcast that we were about to start. Really? Yeah, that's possible. We had possible. like five episodes in the can, but we hadn't released any of them yet. What did, you whole say? Weird thing. what did he say? Was, like, was Christoph positive or uh-huh. negative? Another design podcast? Thanks. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure I didn't say actually, that. Actually, uh, Sam Sophus told us not to do it, which is pretty funny. And then Louis complained about all the things we were going to do. Right. So lesson learned. Never listen to Sam and Louis. <laughs> Well, I would never listen to Louis anyway. I think the broader lesson is... Always try. Always try it. Mm-hmm. Why not? Mm-hmm. Um, one more before we get into it. Uh, yep. What's your camera rig? What are you shooting with right now? My camera rig right now? Oh, wow. Yeah. I love my camera rig. So I'm, I'm shooting a Sony a7R 2 mm-hmm. It's the best camera ever. Yes. Um, Why not the S2? The S2 doesn't exist. So it doesn't? The S2. No. Uh, but the, uh, uh, as far as you know. Are you sure? <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Uh, I the totally A7R2 exists, but not the A7R2. Um, the A7R2 is amazing because it's, yeah, I, I, I can go into details. The A7 it's... family is the A7, the A7R, and the A7S. I have the A7S. Yeah. You had the A7S, yeah. which is now mine. Yeah. <laughs> and now you have the R2. Yeah. You've been photographing for a while. <laughs> photographing? Photographing. <laughs> How did you get into photography and get started in that whole world? I think my dad got me into it. Uh, my dad has always been just like always capturing everything. Like just for the sake of it, uh, it was when I was really young. It was like one of the first people to, that I saw with a video uh, video camera, and he was recording everything. And I was like, "Why? Why are you recording everything?" And he, he didn't like to be in front of the camera, but he really liked to record everything so that in someday, like, he would be able to like relive the memories. And I don't know for some reason, like when I was twelve or thirteen, I started to like pick up the camera from him just so he could be on some of the recordings or some of the photos. And I started to actually like it. And it's only when I could afford actually buy my own first DSLR that I really got like trapped into it and like just couldn't stop shooting. Um, but but yeah, the the interest was like started long before that. Right. So are, you're completely self-taught. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like well, I never went into like any class or anything. What's your favorite kind of photography? Internet. Because you're quite diverse. My favorite kind of photography, I think, um, 360. <laughs> yeah, 360. Uh, How else do you put photos in VR, man? <laughs> exactly. Um, no, I would say uh, landscape photography uh-huh. and uh, wildlife. Uh-huh. Yeah, that trip to Kenya. Holy shit! Yeah, those really, photos, really man. Rad. Thank you. Whew. So pretty. <laughs> yeah, that was really cool. It's like uh, National Geographic. Link in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. Just follow Christoph on Instagram. Yeah, please do. Don't do that. That's silly. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, like, uh, so I also love lo- doing por- portraits. I've done this uh, project called So French where um, I was basically shooting all my friends uh, mm-hmm. at the time using this like super old uh, Hasselblad medium format camera from like the 80s and shooting on film. So I really like doing portrait photography, but I'm not really good at it yet. Like I'm, I'm still learning the tricks to like get people comfortable in front of a camera. So in the meantime, with landscapes, the, the beauty is that like, yeah, there's no like, there's no randomness. Like, it's just, you just look around and you, like, identify yeah, something. Yeah, there's no, like, weather or, like, people <laughs> well, variables. Yeah, or... I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> but, like, weather is always pretty, no matter what. It could be foggy and, like, super gray light, and still you can get beautiful shots. It could be so. night. What are you most excited about in the world of photography and, and some of the technology that's coming out now? I think 360 uh, is super interesting. Since I got my first 360 camera. What's I've that been, camera? It's called the Ricoh Theta. It's actually super cool. It's like very small. You can put it in your pocket. You just press a button. It takes a photo. And you can do video too, which is amazing. Have you gotten it into Oculus so you can be inside yeah. the photo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And videos too, which is really weird. But yeah, the, the thing that's really exciting me about it is the fact that there's no longer this like all the rules that I knew. Like you have this frame and you make sure that your portrait is like, or your, uh, not your portrait, sorry, your, your, the object, like your, your primary subject is like, correctly position into that frame and you try to like make sure you have like everything into that frame like there's no rule anymore like you're capturing everything and so you have to think now about like 
what are the objects that might be in between the camera and the face of the subject, for example. Uh, so like the photo we took earlier, like it's very possible that a microphone was like right in front of your face right. and like we won't see you on the photo. Like th these are the new things that you have to think that about. That sounds like a great photo. Um, yeah, sounds great. <laughs> Fuck the, uh, off. <laughs> it's the rule of third dimensions. That and the fact that you're going to be on every single photo now, uh, which is super interesting. Um, there's, there's you pretty much any way. You can't way hide to... behind the lens anymore. Yeah, behind the exactly. Screen, yeah. So you have to also like care about yourself and how you're going to look on that photo. And you let the the viewer decide which angle they want to look at. It's it's super interesting. So I'm super excited about it. I've met two kinds of photographers. Mm -hmm. One is the kind that sounds like your dad, that capture everything, delete nothing, mm -hmm. preserve that memory forever, whether or not it ever gets looked at again. That's actually my dad too. He's crazy. Are you that way? No, God, no. Yeah. So no, the second, fuck no. The second kind is take a bunch of shots, maybe a little more selective here and there on higher impact moments in life or whatever. Only things where I'm like, oh, curate, hey, that'd be cool. Yeah, yeah. Curate, delete, share, or preserve in some way to a very small collection. Yep. Oh, I'm definitely the second. Um, the second one. The advice that I give to everyone who wants to pick up photography is like capture as much as you can and then go through that process of like selecting and like deleting and like try to learn what are the things that made you made you decide what was a good photo, what was not a good photo. So you'll like you'll pick it up and then like later you'll be able to shoot a little less, but just get the right shot every time. That's the way to learn. I'm still shooting way more than I need. Like I go to I go, I went to ValueCon last week, um, and I well, actually that's a bad example. I didn't bring my camera. <laughs> <laughs> Very bad example. But if I had brought my camera to ValueCon, I would within the like, over the like the like three days of the conference, I would probably have shot I don't know twelve hundred photos uh, at least, and then like delete. 900 of them and maybe share 10 of them. That's the process to get really good shots. That ratio is crazy to me. Mm -hmm. And it's a little daunting for someone that doesn't have a lot of time to invest in mm -hmm. it. Well, let's talk about iteration for a second. <laughs> yep. How many of your iterations do you keep? Uh, me? Yeah. How many iterations do you do on, on a single, just a single view? In oh, like designing a product? Yeah. Oh, dozens. Okay. How many do you keep? The one that ships. So... Yep. Pretty similar ratio mm -hmm. uh, there. Blah, 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 I think it's a similar ratio. So it's, photography products, I don't know. I think that's the, the parallel is actually are a very, product. Yeah. The parallel is actually very easy to do. Like you could just there are people who like will only will bring the camera and will be facing a lion in front in like in the middle of Kenya and will take two photos of that lion. And there will be people like me who will take like three hundred photos of that same lion just to get every angle possible and try and like and learn. And the next time like they'll like only have they only need to take a hundred because like they'll know a little better about how to shoot a lion. Shoot a photo of a lion, sorry. Uh, <laughs> Dude, yeah, that's sorry. a different thing. Uh, Wrong political but, climate but I, for that. I think it's the same with design. Like you want to like explore as much as possible just so at least you learn what are the things that work and the things that, do that don't work. And next time, hopefully you'll be a little more efficient and you won't have to do 200 iteration of the same thing. That whole entire sentence, you could replace photography with design. And, mm -hmm. That's, that's and what he was saying. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly what I, I did. I buy that 100%. Okay. Mm -hmm. Pay attention, Brian. Uh, have you thought about video? Yeah, I've done a little bit of video. It's a very hard medium. It's something I've been working on a lot. Video yeah. excites me a lot more than photos do. Yeah, you're streaming. Yeah. yeah. It's it's a lot Not more only that. It's a lot more work. That's the thing that right. um that always scared me. Um like I shot a lot of videos in Kenya. I haven't like done any work with it. Cause it's it just scares me. It's really, really hard to get video right. There's like a rhythm that you gotta find. There's like a, some storytelling that you have to do through the whole video where like with photos, every photo tells their own story, but like an album doesn't necessarily need to tell a story much. Music, I don't know anything about music. So I have to like go find music that I can use and I, I'm always like, I'm never satisfied with it. So yeah, video is like this medium that I've been capturing a lot of video. I like, I have a drone, I capture beautiful footage, but I never use any of it because I'm just too scared. That's actually how I'm with my GoPro stuff. I'm very intentional when I take video with the A7S, which I think helps lend itself to like, it achieves a goal more directly, whereas GoPro is just kind of passive. And it's like, oh, I'm I'm on and I'm doing this thing, which is usually motorcycling. Right. So like, I'm riding through this beautiful road, but I was leaning into a curve here and the trees are kind of warped and it doesn't look great. So mm -hmm. I don't really want to use it at all kind yeah. of thing. So it seems like one could argue that the higher barrier to entry means that there's less quality video out there and a higher, totally. a higher chance of barrier to entry 
time involved, computing power. Mm-hmm. Use um, a GoPro. That's a good starting point. Yeah, uh, honestly, I would, like, I would even argue computing power to edit a GoPro would probably think, be more I than think, what most people have. Well, there's GoPro Studio. There's uh, there's Shred Video, which will automatically put it to video or to audio. Like it'll, you'll take a music track and it'll like stagger it to fit the audio. It's great. Uh, yeah. video, video is definitely the next big medium. Um, I think Snapchat is doing a really good job at like helping people, just like Instagram helped a lot of people just picking up photography and like starting to be a little more interested in it and just capturing their life through, mm-hmm. photo, f- through photos. I think Snapchat is helping a lot people to like, yeah, try to record videos and be comfortable in front of a camera and start to think about like what what the shot will feel like when when people view it. It forces um, people to tell a story really quickly too. Yeah, also that, which is super, super good. So yeah, Snapchat will, like, I think video will be like one of the big uh, medium that will explode in the next couple of years. If it has, isn't it in the process of exploding? It's already, yeah. It's I think already especially happening. with VR, it could be a really interesting direction. I was more thinking about live and like how live is um, like, Snapshot, you could argue that Snapshot is almost live video, but like the the whole thing of like recording yourself and being comfortable, like just sharing something that's personal in front of everyone, not even knowing who's viewing it mm. and without editing, like there's no, like when you record yourself live on Periscope or Facebook Live, like you, there's no editing, like you, you, you you're have just there. to, yeah. everything is happening now and you're in the moment and like people, it's the greatness is that people can react and like can influence your, your video, but there's no, you can't go back. There's no comeback. And and that's the thing that people are getting more comfortable with that, which I think is super fascinating. I'm still not comfortable. I, I'm like, I'm ha- terrible. Me neither, no. Terrible, I'm not comfortable. Terrible uh, broadcaster. But um, yeah, I think that will be like, video will be the next big thing for the next couple of years, at least. And then we'll, we'll see VR, hopefully. And then VR. Well, I think of like live video at a concert or something from like a 3D stream would be just the most incredible thing, especially in VR. Even if you get a mic with good rejection that you can attach to it. I mean, a lot of cameras have external microphone ports or hot shoes or whatever. Uh, if you get one with good rejection, you can do great audio. I feel like the 360 live video, all this kind of stuff is so new um, that not a lot of people are paying attention to it. But it unlocks so much possibility that in a year or two, it's going to be very common to do. Well, I think I th- it will take a little longer than that. Um, I think okay. a year and a year or two from now, you'll start seeing it in like phones. Like you could expect that Samsung and HTC will start releasing phones and have a 360 camera on it. Well, it's basically a front and rear camera, right? With kind it's of a, a fish more, eye. It's a little more than that. And in stitching. Yeah, like you you need a particular kind of a hardware, just even on the on the on the lens itself and the center to to get it right. Mm-hmm. Um, but that will happen very soon. Like everyone is working on it. Uh, so you could expect that like a year, maybe two years from now, you'll start having it on your on your on your phone, and then it will take probably a good year, maybe two, for people to actually get comfortable with it and learn how to use it, and for like the platform, the different platforms on the internet to actually support 360 photos and videos. But I think it's going to be great. Yeah, people have been saying the new uh, iPhone is going to be glass front and back. It could just be 3D camera. It could, but Apple is rarely ahead of the game in that kind of situation so i would expect them to take more time well they are the number one camera Mm -hmm. manufacturer right Mm -hmm. good tangent let's back up uh where are you from where am i from Mm -hmm. france what part po the southwest is that city country that's the city po yeah okay city po city po the the country (laughs) is france (laughs) i think you meant rural or urban oh sorry <laughs> sorry country yeah. si- countryside Christoph, gotcha. focus gotcha. gotcha uh it's a little city it's like one hundred fifty thousand people okay so that's yeah small city that's a yeah it's a good town in the middle of the countryside mm-hmm. uh what did you study um i studied computer science why that's a very long story Ooh, um, i like stories so okay how did i get into this um so a friend of mine in high school showed me how to make a website and I was blown away because I was con- I was convinced that it would take like 500 people working daily to just make w- one web page. Was that like Dreamweaver? It was, yeah. Dreamweaver was nice. the was the, the software I used. Um, and yeah, it showed me HTML and CSS and like putting images on the web and like how to set up an FTP and all that. I was like, wow, this is magic. This is I can actually do that. And so very quickly, I made my first website called nbafrance.com. NBA France. Yeah, not NBA Friends. I was just clarifying. Friends, yeah. Uh, sorry. I, <laughs> that made it better. <laughs> yeah, sorry. No, I guess it did. Uh, 
yeah so um and uh, i was just like i was passionate about the nba and i was like hey i'm just gonna make a quick website just for myself and i'm just gonna like put the scores in there and like maybe like write my own like thoughts on whatever is happening in the nba in french so that french people can actually like you know consume the nba in some way because there was no version of nba.com at that time and i started to like update that website regularly uh into like i was jumping into the html every day and like manually putting my text in it and i was like this is not scalable like, this isn't efficient i gotta figure out something else um and i was waking up at like 4 a.m to watch the games and like write my my thinking and claire my girlfriend at the time now wife uh was like complaining all the time so i had to figure out something and so i started to like look it up on the internet and i'm like oh like just like way more advanced languages like php um and like setting up a database and I was did like, you okay. write your own cms yeah i, I literally <laughs> wrote my own cms um I had my own dashboard. I had a bunch of people like writing posts for my for my website and all that. That was it was a really great experience. But then I wanted to bring it to the next level, and so I was like, "What? How can I like be better at this?" And there was this computer science school that I found, and it looked appealing to me. I was like, "This is gonna help me for my website, so I should go learn computer science." And yeah, and then I I ended up selling the the website to the NBA uh, a couple of years later. Uh, which when was, you were in high school or in university? No, after I started computer, studying computer science, uh, the NBA reached out. That was a funny situation. The NBA reached out through the lawyers, um, and it told me that. Um, well, we first, own NBA. <laughs> yeah, you can't say that. <laughs> hey, they buddy. were like, "Hey, like we, uh, you're using our trademark in your like domain name. That's not cool. Um, and you're also using our logos and like our photos. Like this is not okay." But we realized that you have a pretty successful website. In fact, at that time, when you were typing NBA on Google in France, you would get my website before the NBA <laughs> official website. So they're like, okay, this is like, we, we're not too mad at you. We just like, we would like to solve this. So why don't we like buy the website and make you an official blogger on our, web, on our NBA.com website? And I was like, okay, that sounds great. So That's, you did that? I did that. You blogged for the NBA? Mm-hmm. How long did you do that? I did that for like a couple of years. And then I was just like, it was way too time consuming. And so I was, I had to like stop. While you were studying computer science. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, what happened after, after I get, university, I guess, at this point? Well, I did a couple internships at Orange, which mm -hmm. is like this big, uh, it's basically the size of AT&T and Verizon. It's a big, big carrier in Europe. Um, so I did a couple uh, internships there uh, in their R&D department. And then I joined Apple uh, in Paris. And How I did was, that happen? through a friend who like worked there and like went to the same school and reached out to me. I was like, Hey, like, why don't you come and join us? And I did doing software development, doing software development. Crazy. Yeah. Um, and it was, it's interesting how like at the time, Claire, my now wife was like the designer and I was a developer and we're doing some freelance websites together and she was designing and I was coding and you know, like some projects you just like didn't have the bandwidth or like, I was just like, you know, playing around with Photoshop, trying to do my thing. And at some point I became pretty good at it. And it's at Apple that they're like, hey, like, you're actually doing pretty good at this. Like, why don't you like do your own like design for this project? Like just so we can see. And yeah, very quickly I ended up doing that full time. Can you say what projects you worked on? Uh, a lot of internal projects, internal tools, um, a lot of prototyping of like concepts uh, that they were working on and they wanted to like explore. So that part I can't really talk about mm -hmm. yet because it's, never know if like that might come out someday mm -hmm. that's pretty much what i was on. It's, it's an interesting team the team in france is like it's a very small team and because they're on a very different time zone they get to work on very different projects that have a direct influence on the project being worked in cupertino it's a very weird way to do like cross country cross continent uh work collaboration but they they do it pretty well it's, it's surprising like basically some pro for, on some projects the paris team would work during the day in france and then the team in cupertino would pick up the work in their morning when it was the night in in france and like would continue to work on that and then we would like switch it up again that was really interesting so you started switching into design where you still still coding what you built still doing the technical stuff yeah at what point did did that change or did it uh, well, then I, I joined Parse and mm -hmm. I, w I was basically doing the same thing. I was also like, I was the first designer, but mm -hmm. also the first front end developer that they had. So I was doing it all. I was designing everything and I was coding most of the like dashboard and website that we had. And it's only when I switched to working on more Facebook products, uh, like Facebook photos and platform, 
uh, then I started to like spend more, most of my time designing and still doing some coding for like prototyping, mm -hmm. but no longer writing actual production code. Then let's go back a little bit. How did Parse find you? I think Dribble. Okay. Um, okay. I think that's how they found me. Was the decision to move to California? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, so it was an interesting time where Apple wanted me to move to London. Um, and my wife didn't want to go to London. I didn't really want to go to London either, but she particularly didn't want to. Um, and at that time, the Parse guys reached out and they were like, hey, why don't you, like, we really like you. Why don't you come over to, like, visit us and so we, so we can chat? And I was going to San Francisco a couple weeks later on vacation with Claire. And so we're like, okay, like, I'm, I'm coming. So, like, why don't we meet while I'm, while I'm on vacation? So one afternoon during our trip, like, Claire went to the beach and I went interviewing. And when I came back from that interview, I was like, okay, I think it went pretty well. So we're going to have to actually consider moving here. Um, and it just happened that these couple of weeks were just amazing. The weather was beautiful. Like the city was just blooming. It was fantastic. That's kind of how San Francisco <laughs> works, right? Yeah, well, you, it could have been two weeks of like foggy weather and like, a bit of rain. Like we just got lucky. It was hey, like, man, weather's always beautiful. That's true. That's true. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Christophe uh, Tozier. <laughs> and so, yeah, on the way back uh, to France, they reached out and they're like, hey, like, we want you, we want to make you an offer. Like, we really want you to come. And so, yeah, convincing Claire was not easy because she had a really good job in Paris and she was really happy. And we had to go through like all this visa thing that was really painful. Took six months. For six months, I worked for Pars from Paris, which was very challenging. But yeah, it worked out. Well, why did you choose Pars? Because at this point, you're at Apple. What year would this be? 2012? 11. 11. Apple is doing big things in the design world. It's highly regarded in the design community. It's a massive company. And then there's this team of four that wants to build a product. A database product. A database <laughs> yeah. product. Yeah. Why? Um, I think it was a combination of a lot of things. Uh, first, the experience that I had at Apple wasn't as amazing as I was expecting it to be. And as much, I was like probably too much of a fanboy. And I was like a little disappointed to see the behind the scenes. You got your hopes um, up. Yeah culture of like the cubicles and like secret all over the place and not being able to collaborate freely with people it was like really like I found it I found it very hard to to deal with so I was not super satisfied even if the work I was doing on a daily basis was good uh, I was really happy with it and when I met these guys in California I was like wow like that sounds like such a great change of life and like and they were so passionate and I really believe in what they're saying they're like dude, you, we're like, we really want to put design first and like we're four developers, but you're going to be telling us what to build. And I was like, wow, okay, that sounds, that sounds great. Like I was really not, that was like the very, it was the early days of like when really startups started to really pick up design and like actually care about it. Uh, Airbnb wasn't there back then. Like it was 2011, like it's already five years ago. And so, yeah, I was like, wow, these guys are thinking different. Um, that might be a good, good opportunity. Thinking different? Yeah. Nice. Exactly. And then you were there for a year. Yep. And you got swooped back into the, yeah. the big company world. Yeah. What was that like? That was very interesting. So um, this is this one morning where, well, actually, like one day where we get, well, we all get an invite uh, to a meeting and we like rarely had meetings at Pars, but we have a whole hands meeting. It's the first time ever that we're doing a whole hands. Um, and we're like, why, why, what's happening? And we knew the founders were raising money at the time. So we're like, okay, I guess they probably raised the money and like, it's going to be great. Um, but we're like, had some suspicion because it took a long time for them to, uh, to do that series B and like, we're super successful. Everything was doing great. So we're like, it's taking too long. There's something going on. So we go into this, this meeting and they tell us like, Hey guys, so, uh, here's the thing. We're trying to raise money, but it went so well that like, suddenly everyone tried to acquire us. And, <laughs> uh, we ended up selling the company to, to Facebook. I was not super excited at the time when they, when they started telling us that. I was like, no, I really don't want to go to a big company. But then they told us, like, it's here's the thing. The reason we sold is because, like, Facebook is going to let us continue doing our thing. Like, they, they want us to continue building parts. And, like, all the other offers we got from Apple, from Google, like, Facebook is the company that wants to invest in parts. And they want, us, they want us to continue going. And that got me. Um, I was like, okay, that's really interesting. Like, maybe, maybe these guys actually know what they're doing, uh, Facebook. Uh, and that was right after the social network came out. So I was like, <laughs> I had a pretty bad opinion about, uh, uh -huh. about the company, but you know, I was like this, this one move and like Instagram had been acquired a little earlier and they were doing great. So I was like, yeah, maybe, maybe this company is not so bad. So then 
you show up to the Menlo Park campus one day. Mm-hmm. Did it meet your expectations? What What was that like? Kind of being with your core team, yeah. then suddenly getting shifted into this this mega culture, this dungeon. That was that went so <laughs> fast. That's the thing. Like they announced the acquisition on the Thursday morning. Uh, they told us on Thursday morning at like eleven a.m. And then at one p.m. it got announced publicly once the market closed. And the following Monday, we were on campus at Facebook. Holy shit! That went really fast. And so we arrived there. We had never, I had never seen the campus before. And like we we're walking inside the old Facebook campus, which is like this classic this campus. Classic uh, campus, which is like it's basically Disneyland. Like you walk in this like an ice cream shop instantly as you walk in, and then there's like this coffee place and this burger place and this burrito place and this workshops pizza, and, and workshop like and like screen printing it's stuff. It's library crazy. and music place. It's like it's insane. And so we're walking there and we're like wow, like this, this is really cool. And the thing that really got me excited is the design team that they had at the time. Uh, it was a pretty small team. We're like 45 people, I think. But so like, small. Well, yeah, <laughs> well, compared to now. Relatively. 300 some. Uh, but the talent that was there was just fantastic. I was like, wow, these guys are just amazing. I'm so happy to be with them. And so that's the part I think that was like really like going beyond my expectations, like joining this, this design team and like getting to work with them and getting feedback from them. But yeah, otherwise, like Facebook was just like, they basically put us in in a building and they're like, hey, like, do you think like if you need our help for recruiting for, I don't know, any advice or anything like we're here, but otherwise, do you think? And I was like, fantastic. Like we just continued building our product. And it was, yeah, that the transition went super, super well. But then at some point you decided you wanted to work on something else. You got sick of spreadsheets. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. A couple of years. At that time, when I decided to leave Paris, I had been working on it for two and a half years. Mm-hmm. I was still the sole designer on it. Yeah. Uh, I had just found a designer to join, George. GK3. GK3. Yep. And I was like, I think I'm getting to the point where like, I'm not learning much anymore. Like it's getting a little repetitive. Like we, I, I start to really understand how to make a successful developer tool or develop a new feature for them and stuff. And I wanted to work on something else. And I was at Facebook. I was like, hey, like, if I'm going to spend a couple of years at Facebook, I should at least like for a few months work on the real Facebook thing. Um, so I just told my manager and like a couple of days later, I was joining the photo team. It went super, super fast. What was the, the learnings or transition for, for you from going from developer tools, this small team operating on its own inside Facebook to something like photos, which literally billions of people use, right? Totally different scale, totally different set of problems. What was that like kind of moving into that world? I actually think I was mostly scared by like what I was expecting to happen. Like I was expecting everything to go really bad and for me to be like completely lost. And actually it went, it went pretty well. Like it was pretty straightforward. Like I, I was invited on the team, the the photo team at the time had two designers on it and they were like, Hey, like here's the projects we're working on. Like, I think it would be great for you to go explore your own thing and like go figure out what you want to work on. And like, they were super open. Like the process was super, it, it went super well. Like the big difference for me was to work, collaborate with other designers, which I hadn't done at Parse. I only had done it, done it at, at Apple, but it was a very different context where like I was working with a team that was in Cupertino. It was really weird. So now I was sitting with other designers and I could like actually look at what they were doing and they could give me feedback. And that was the part that was completely new to me. But otherwise, yeah, it was, it was actually pretty easy. The, uh, the part that was hard was actually to start thinking about all the different users that I had to now design for and not just my own use case. So I could not just be like, oh, I want the resolution of every photo on Facebook to be 10x better because like, I really care about like the beauty of photography because then I had to realize, yeah, there's like most of the users uploading photos are in India right now and their bandwidth doesn't allow them to upload a 40 megapixel photo uh, <laughs> or even to like download it to consume right, it. So right. yeah, I think that's the part that I had to like learn how to really like think about these like different cultures, uh, different way of using the same product, which I didn't have to do at, at Parse and even at Apple, the, the stuff I was working on was not necessarily very demanding for that. Do you like that way of working? Oh yeah, I really like it. Having more constraints? Well, no, it's, it's actually broadening up the constraints and the use cases. That's the part that I really like. So the opposite, yeah. yeah, 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 the op- yeah. Instead of having just like one set of users, the developer community and try to like design for them. I had to now design for everyone. Uh, and it's the same, it's the same reason. I, I know where you're going with that question. Uh, it's the re- same reason that pushed me to leave that team and join the VR team. It's actually for like extending the, the, 
number of constraints uh, that I have to deal with on a daily basis, just so I can like go explore more and go crazier. Yeah. I find that sometimes it's hard to find the space within a company to go crazy. There's too much short-term demands, whether it's metrics or business goals or, or whatnot. How did you manage to find the room on your teams to go and explore, have a little breathing room, that kind of thing? I think it's a lot easier when everything is doing great. Um, <laughs> Indeed. When I joined the photos team, everything was doing great. And so they actually told me as soon as I joined, they're like, hey, like, why don't you explore what's the future of photography on Facebook? And we'll give you six months, we'll give you a bunch of engineers and a PM, and you can just go explore. And you have no goals outside of just exploring. I was like, wow, this is amazing. It's the last time it happened to me. Because <laughs> uh, then things went a little less um, hmm. easy on our team. Like the, the structure was not working great. And so we had to like now do this, this exercise that you just mentioned of like dealing with metrics and trying to really like balance the short-term needs and like the longer-term vision. So yeah, it is it is easier, way easier when everything is doing great. Uh, recently, I worked on Facebook Live, same thing, like new medium, new format. Everything is doing really great. So hey, why don't we explore? Like, why don't we go crazy? It's a lot easier than when you work on something that's working already, but not performing to a level that just like allows everyone to be like crazy. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit about your process when you are given six months and a blank check to explore yeah how do you even approach that what do you do yeah so what we did what we ended up doing and i i talked to a lot of designers to like get some advice on like how to approach this and how to do it and everyone had the same uh, response which was like do some research like that's the one thing you should do like research look at the data interview some people and try to really understand what are the big things that need to be solved um it's a one-time opportunity like you got to you got to pick it up and do it do it right. So that's what I ended up doing. We did a big, big research to really try and understand what are the things that prevent people from sharing photos, uh, or what are the things that today really like are not great when you're consuming photos. And we try to explore what could be some products that could solve these different problems. How much can you talk about it? Well, one product that came out. Well, actually, a bunch of products came out. Like so. Okay, let's let's look at an example. So one thing that people mentioned a lot was that. When they were about to share a photo on Facebook and last second they decided not to share it, the main reasons for people canceling were, were the photo was not pretty enough, the photo was not funny enough, was not expressive enough in some way, and I didn't know really what to caption or to make it more interesting. Or I had this group photo, but there's this one person on the group photo that's not doing a really good face or like closing their eyes, and so I'm not really sure about sharing it. Um, and so for these, like we found pro products to, to solve these problems super quickly, like photo filters to, to help people make photos a little prettier. Uh, we didn't have that back then, uh -huh. so we had to catch up. Stickers on photos to help people be a little more funny or a little more expressive, or even hide the person on the photo is not doing the right <laughs> face with a little smiley face. Uh, these kind of like product ideas just like came up e super easily once we had the research and we really understood what were the things that we were missing. Now we had an actual problem to solve and we're not just like adding features for the sake of it you launched all these these little things like mm -hmm. obvious fixes was there yeah. six months like was there a big theme that came yeah. out of that yeah the big the big thing was storytelling um we felt that photos on facebook were it was really hard to tell a story through photos uh -huh. on facebook um and so and you couldn't at the time share photos and videos together which was like no, actually no platform on the internet lets you share photos and videos together in the same story as sort of a few like super pro products. And so we try to like think about how we could help people share stories a little better and like be more expressive without asking them to do too much work. Cause like we know people are like lazy and not necessarily tech savvy all the time and just want to be able to share what they have. And so we worked on this product called Collage that was basically doing most of the work for people. We just like identified a moment in your camera roll through like, you know, location and time. And we're like packaging up all the photos, trying to like filter the duplicates and like try to make, like pick up the best photos and the videos and put that together in like this collage format that suddenly was, all you had to do was basically deciding like, oh, I want this photo to be big because I really like my face on it. Uh, or I don't want this photo or this video. And that was it. And you were sharing it like an actual like, story through photos and videos, which we shipped in December, I think. What did you learn from that? A lot. 
um, <laughs> indeed process uh, sh- uh, shipping something that's big inside of a product that's performing really well Facebook photos is like billion Facebook. plus photos every day so it's big adding something to a system that's working and trying to like you know move things around is really really difficult and so that's probably the big the big lesson like how to learning how to evangelize something like this uh, within the company the, the big basically the big hard part was evangelizing the product within the company and convincing people that we should be building something like this was there a tactic you found that worked to do that yes there's a tactic called framing and I invite everyone to talk to Jeremy Goldberg uh, or watch the talk that he gave last week at Valuecon mm-hmm. about On being uh, a framer no not <laughs> framer the framework uh, framer framing the um, communication tool that when you're in a room with other people helps you make sure that you get the outcome that you want out of the conversation which is sets context in a positive way for you yeah um, photos this core product um, everyone uses it billions of people then at some point you switched again mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you stayed at Facebook again mm-hmm. what happened that time so I was really 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 interested in VR what's interesting about social VR well I was interested in VR at the time I for a number of reasons um, first the fact that it was a very, very, very new and different medium, and that I really was, tr- I was really seeing the potential every time I was trying playing with it. I was like, wow, like there's so much that you can do with it. So much that like no one is building yet. That, that could just be amazing. And every time I was thinking about it deeply, I was just like, wow, like there's so much I could be doing. I should just like quit and like build a VR company. And so, yeah, VR like got me really excited but in but before i joined the vr team i ended up uh working on live video for two mm-hmm. months to help them out uh they were working on a bunch of ambitious features and they needed some power some help so i helped them out it was a really cool experience i worked with some really really cool people you and george reunited yeah me and george reunited and alex cornell who was a really awesome guy um sam evans a bunch of really really smart people and yeah and recently i joined the social vr team a very new team at Facebook. What does that even mean? Yeah, the social VR team is focused on trying to understand what will be the future of social interactions in VR. So how how are we going to talk to each other? What are the things that are going to make us spend some time, whether it's synchronously, like we're both in a room and doing stuff together, or asynchronously, like I'm in VR and I'm reading the messages that you left me or like the stuff that you left there, like that kind of stuff. So trying to explore what really will be like the, the dynamics that will happen in VR, like the different kind of interactions, just like in real life, like in a meeting room, depending on the size and the f- shape of the table and how people are placed around the table, like the conversation and the interaction can change dramatically. Uh, you can imagine that it will be the same in VR, depending on like whether you're in the forest sitting in a, as a, in a circle or like in front of a computer screen or sorry a a movie uh theater screen and like all like sitting next to each other right um so yeah that's the the kind of stuff i'm working on trying to explore what will be the um, the future of social interactions in vr none please Uh, yeah uh, take zero thank you i'm gonna ask a a tough one a cynic Mm -hmm. or not you basically not a nice boy to you not me uh well maybe might argue that that's a scary world where it's okay to sit next to our friends and watch movies with our friends without actually ever seeing our friends. Yeah. Not that it's totally that extreme, but some might say that if we start going down this road where mm-hmm. that's accessible and easy, we lose this non this R, the reality, right? Right. What's your take on that? I think it's a it's a natural question uh, to ask, a natural cynicism to have. Uh, I sometimes have that sort of thinking, but very quickly I. I stop and I realized that we've had this conversation before when social networks came up. <laughs> Seriously, I remember yeah, my mom true. telling me like, you should not use Facebook all the time. I saw it on TV, like you, you're gonna stop talking to your friends and you're gonna be on the internet all the time. Well, it turns out we are in the inter- on the internet all the time, even worse now with mobile, but we're actually spending way more time with our friends when we used to. Uh, so it's actually, it helped us communicate and build friendships a lot faster and a lot better 
than before we had all these tools. So I think VR is just going to be the extension of that, where instead of talking to my parents once a week through FaceTime for half an hour, I'll be able to watch the basketball game with my dad sitting next to me all over, like in, back in France, and we'll both be sitting together on the side of the court just watching the game together. That's one example of things that might happen that will just extend the possibilities of things that we can do that I think will actually bring people a lot closer together. And I think that's why Facebook got so excited about it. That's why Mark got really excited about VR. There's a huge potential for bringing people a lot closer to each other. Yeah, and it's I completely understand the cynicism. Uh, it's, it's just natural. Every new technology that comes up is always scary. When GoPro came out, people were skeptical too. When like anything You're that be watching me all the time. Yeah. It's like Any, Google Glass. <laughs> or yeah. when, when the iPhone came out, I uh-huh. remember people being like super skeptical about it. Uh, $500 for, for a phone fully subsidized. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't have apps. It doesn't <laughs> no do web. 3D. So yeah, I think it's, um, it's a very natural uh, reaction, but I think people will, I think VR will happen way faster than we think because it's a step function change. Like when you try VR and you have an actual powerful experience with it, you can't, go back like this. I haven't had a single person trying VR with an actual good experience, like with touch controllers and like an actual good game or good, you know, experience and walking out and being like, yeah, no, this is not for me. That hasn't happened yet. Including my mom, who was the most skeptical person on earth when it comes to technology. And it took her like, she got a first iPhone a couple of years ago after years of saying like, I don't want any of this. She tried VR. And was sold instantly. With the time we have left, if there are designers listening who want, they want to work on VR, social VR, anything like that, how did you make the transition into it? What do people need to start learning as far as tools and process? What's different? Where do you start? They need to call a Facebook recruiter named Christophe Tozier. <laughs> That's actually true. Uh, <laughs> what's interesting is that it's a little similar to when mobile came out and there was really no direction like there was no guidelines, there was no nothing. The only similar thing to web at the time was that you could still use Photoshop and you could you just had to like change the size of your canvas, but now you had to like do these new things of like thinking about buttons. There's no scroll wheel anymore and like people have to like figure out how to scroll and like you have to like make people understand this is this is a button, this is just text, like all these things. There's no hover effect anymore. But at least it was still 2D. With VR, the difficult part is that there's no tools yet right now. Uh, there's basically nothing for a designer to play with. So you end up jumping into Unity, which is the same tool that developers use to actually build the thing. Have you guys piped that into the Oculus yet? There are tools coming up to let you actually design in VR for VR, uh, but that's mostly for 3D modeling, like move, sh- changing the shape of mm-hmm. something, moving it around. Um, but when it comes to actually building interaction and testing them out, like you have to write the code. So I would say to answer your question about like, how do you get started? Um, I wish there were resources for it. Uh, that's actually something I'm considering doing at some point. I think it's learning 3D, super crucial. Uh, you have to go and learn how, just like how to think in 3D and like what are the basics of like modeling, lighting. Like it's actually pretty easy, but you have to just like force yourself to learn that stuff. You need to learn how to code. Uh, that's like, you have to know. It's Code in what? C Sharp or JavaScript, for Unity at least. Um, and product design, the whole like process of like designing as many things as possible, trying them out, prototyping them, failing, doing it again, trying to understand what worked, what didn't, uh, testing things with normal people and not just you. Um, that process is just like, super useful when you're like exploring something where there's no guideline, no nothing. And you have to go like, and anything is possible. Like really anything is possible in VR right now. Um, so you have to like use all these like techniques that you've learned over the years, designing for mobile and web and just reapply them as you're trying this. New reapply thing. the process to a new set of tools and a new set of constraints. Re- yeah. Rebuild constraints. Yeah. Yeah. And your team is hiring. A senior. My team is hiring. Yeah. We're hiring. Yeah. A senior 3D designer. Five years of experience (laughs) in VR. Five years of VR experience. Exactly. I actually remember getting an email once in 2009 of someone asking me, asking for a designer with 10 years of experience designing for the iPhone. Uh 
I was like, yeah, it came sure. out two years ago. So uh-huh. yeah, sure. um, I saw one recently for five years of Swift experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that sounds about right. Um, yeah, we're like right now we're trying to hire senior people because we're very small and we have to move really fast. And because there's no constraints, because there's no tool, like you have to be super independent. You have to be able to just do it all on your own um, and actually push the thing forward. Um, so we're trying to hire senior senior product designers who are willing to like drop everything they know and just like op- like open their mind like jump with a beginner's mind and really try to like learn 3d learn these new things um or we're also looking for 3d artists that are actually generalists uh it's actually very interesting how similar it is to like the product design thing where like before you had interaction designers and visual designers and yeah, interaction, UX, yeah, uh, all yeah. the things, uh-huh. uh, and prototypers, and now we have product designers who have basically to do it all. It's very similar. We're trying to find 3D artists that are generalists, that can do everything, and not just animation, or not just modeling, or not just technical, like shaders and all that. We need we need people who can do it all. That's the way Facebook hires people, but it's super challenging, because that, that basically doesn't exist. So we have to find these unicorns. Between C Sharp or JavaScript, where would you start? Well, the easiest to learn is JavaScript. Uh-huh. The most efficient for VR is probably C Sharp. That's what the developers are going to use mostly. So if you write something in C Sharp or if you want to reuse the code that your developers built or wrote, you, it's probably better to use C Sharp. But if someone is trying to learn how to code, I would I would say JavaScript. Okay. Um, awesome. Is cool. there anything else you want to plug before we go? Sure. Um, so French? You guys can follow me on Twitter at Chris Dozier, on Instagram, at Chris Dozier, on Snapchat, I think, at Chris Dozier, I'm not sure. <laughs> we'll put them in the show notes, because <laughs> exactly. those, those are hard to spell. Yeah, and you can go check out my website if you want to know more about, you know, what I design, what I, what are the photos that I take, yeah, and that photos. you guys mentioned, that kind of stuff. Awesome. Dope. Thanks, man. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, you guys. That's cool. That was episode 137. Thank you for listening. Thanks to Christoph for coming and hanging out with us. And thanks to Wayno for sponsoring. Wayno is an agency here in San Francisco doing killer work. And you should go check them out. Get inspired. That's at wayno.co, U-E-N-O dot C-O. They have a team of some of our favorite designers in the world doing beautiful work. At the very least, just go look at it and get inspired. Secondarily, if you want a job, they're hiring. So click the careers link in the header of their website and tell them we sent you. They're snapping up some of the best people in the industry and you can go learn from them. And that snapping sounds up. amazing. Dude, they totally are, right? <laughs> Is that, that's what they're doing? That's a great saying. They're snapping them. Again, that's at wayno.co, U-E-N-O dot C-O. Thanks to Wayno for making this episode possible. And thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.